Well, didn't our men do a good job? That seemed very confusing. The... Man, good job. I always want to sing what the person next to me is singing, so I wouldn't be able to uh, do uh, the part thing. Uh, take your Bible and turn with me to the beginning, uh, Genesis. That's an easy book to, uh, to find. As you're turning to that, uh, we had a great time over the weekend with our Christmas musical, our children, our, from our littlest ones to the medium-sized ones to the big ones. Uh, it was great. So I uh, just want to thank uh, Tim Bagby and, uh, and, and Joe Borsma and the others that uh, were in leadership with that. That was just a great uh, weekend for us. They did a great job. Yes. You will get, as you leave today, a little card, and on that card, it, very simple, on the front of it, it says this, in honor of that greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ, give it forward. Uh, and I want to encourage you to try this Christmas season, a uh, time when we are celebrating Christ's birth and all that God has done for us, to give a gift to someone else. Um, and in that, just a, a way of showing them that God loves them. So today, for instance, when ice storms come, it could mean you scraping your neighbor's windshield off their car so they don't have to do that. And then you just give them this little card. Hey, just wanted to remind you that God loves you uh, and he, Christ, is our greatest gift. So do something. Take this card and this week pray about who you could do something kind to in Jesus' name as you are living out your faith. So I encourage you to do that as you, as you leave today. Grab one of those cards and in the few, next few weeks, those, some, other, the one, some other cards will be at the, uh, at the um, different places out in the church where you can grab some more if you need some more of those. This morning we start a new series talking about total forgiveness. What a great time of year to think about forgiveness. Christmas is a time when we celebrate Jesus Christ coming to this earth so that we could experience forgiveness from God the Father. And as we think about the forgiveness that we have been given, the gift of forgiveness that we have been given, I want us over the next few weeks to kind of turn that around a little bit and to think together about what it would look like if we really gave that same gift to other people. That gift of forgiveness, total forgiveness. It's a different concept, probably, than most of us have thought about. So I really want you to really listen and ask God to help you to, to just see where he's speaking to you. And I would just say to you um, that this is something that if you'll listen, if you'll really pay attention to the Lord and ask him to help you to see, it's something that really could change your life. And potentially the truth that we find in God's Word could also be something that as you listen, you will think of other people that this will be helpful to, that you in turn could help. So listen with those ears of how does this apply to me, and then how can I help someone else experience total forgiveness uh, this Christmas uh, season. Uh, we're going to base what we're talking about today on a, a book by R.T. Kendall. Uh, entitled Total Forgiveness. R.T. Kendall uh, has a different theological bent than we do, and so uh, as with anything I read, I always uh, I live with the philosophy, read with the philosophy of chew the meat, spit out the bones. Uh, and so with that, there's some things that, that we wouldn't uh, necessarily agree with theologically in here, but it doesn't affect the point that he's making on the issue of forgiveness. So we just would ask you to read that with that uh, in mind. 
But this is something we're going to base what we're talking about over the next few weeks. It's in our bookstore if you'd like to pick up a copy. So we're going to talk about the Cliff Notes. You can get the long play version uh, and read it for yourself in, the, uh, in, the, uh, in our bookstore. So just encourage you uh, with that resource today. Total forgiveness. What does that look like? Well, to, do, to really think about that, let's look at an a example in the Old Testament. Again, we're in the book of Genesis. We're going to start, and we're going to look at some different passages, but we're going to start in the 37th chapter of Genesis, and it's the story of Joseph. Joseph got a lot of real estate in the Old Testament. A lot of chapters are devoted to Joseph. We'll start in the 37th verse, or 37th chapter, and in this chapter, we're just going to summarize it. Uh, Joseph is one of 12 sons of Jacob. Jacob is not the best parent in the world. Jacob struggles. Uh, Jacob uh, does things that we know better than to do. And Jacob uh, had uh, really made it no qualms about, the, about his decision that Joseph was his favorite child. Look at verse 3. And in verse 3, chapter 37, it says that he loved Joseph more and he gave him a coat of many colors. Now, if you were in Sunday school growing up. You heard those stories of the coat of many colors, and, and Joseph got this special coat that separated him from all the other brothers. We see later in this story that Joseph, not only was he the special child, he also was the child that loved to tell on his brothers. Scripture says that he gave a bad report to his dad about his brothers. So not only is he the favorite child, not only does dad make that known to everybody, not only does he, uh, does he do these things, he tells on his brothers, so he's a tattletale. He also doesn't have a humble bone in his body at this point in his life. And he says he had this dream, and so he tells his brothers and his family about this dream he had. Hey guys, I had this dream, and in my dream, I dreamed that all of you were going to bow down to me one day. And so the youngest brother, the youngest son, is telling all of his older brothers, hey, one day you're all going to bow down to me. God told me. Now imagine how disturbed, mad, upset, whatever terminology you want to use, his brothers were at him. In fact, they were so enraged that they finally, they were off... Um, tending the sheep one day, and Joseph comes sashaying up in his coat of many colors, and as he's off and he's coming towards them, they decide, all right, I've had enough, let's kill him. And so they hatch this plan that they're going to kill him. Now, there was one brother that had grown a bit of a conscience, and so he says, hey guys, well, let's not kill him. How about we just sell him as a slave? There's, there's some Ishmaelites, they're coming our way. Why don't we just sell him? We'll make a few bucks. And we, won't, we don't have to kill him. And so the brothers agree to that. And so these Ishmaelites come. They sell their brother to these slave drivers. And they take him off to Egypt. In the meantime, they take his coat. They dip it in goat's blood. They take it back to dad. And we see that dad, in verse 33, that Jacob, dad, thinks a wild animal has killed Joseph. That's the story that they give, this wild animal uh, killing Joseph. Meanwhile, Joseph, so dad now thinks Joseph's dead. Meanwhile, Joseph is on this slave caravan, ends up in Egypt, gets sold to a guy by the name of Potiphar, a high uppity up in Pharaoh's court. 
He gets sold as a slave, his, and so he's a slave in Potiphar's house. His wife accuses, accuses him of some things that he didn't do. He gets thrown in prison, and now here he is languishing in prison. And so imagine this, 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 these, these thoughts, these, these feelings, this grudge, this bitterness that he has against his brothers just continues to grow and fester. Here he is, a slave, and now here he is, a slave and in prison. And it's all his brother's fault. Several years pass, and he finally gets released from prison when he interprets the dream of the Pharaoh. And this was the dream. The dream was that there would be seven years of plenty, seven years when they had great bumper crops. Following that period, there would be seven years of famine. Well, it was a great revelation to, uh, to the Pharaoh, and that's exactly what happened. And so Pharaoh promoted Joseph to basically second in command in Egypt. Look at chapter 41. Turn over a couple chapters. In chapter 41, verse 40, we see that Jacob basically, or Joseph, excuse me, Joseph basically becomes the prime minister of Egypt. He's basically second in command to Pharaoh. And so he's gone from a slave to this exalted position of second in command. And so for 20 Two years from the time he'd been sold into slavery, now he finds himself 22 years later. Here he is, second in command. God's been growing him, God's been maturing him, and here we find him. And in response to this famine, Jacob, the dad, and all of the brothers are experiencing that famine. And so Jacob finally says to the other brothers, Hey, you need to go to Egypt. It's the only place where there's food. And there's only food because Joseph had told him it was coming. The famine was coming. So go to Egypt. And when you get to Egypt, buy us some food so that we can survive this terrible famine. And so they do that. So they go to Egypt. The person that they've got to go to to get the food is Joseph. And so here is Joseph. Imagine, maybe it's a room like this where Joseph up on kind of a higher level than everybody else. And they're coming in and, and Joseph, uh, and we see there's some some great parts of the story that we're going to kind of skip over, but he, he kind, of, kind of messes with his brothers a little bit for a little while because you've know, you got to do a little something. And so they don't know who he is, and so he uh, hides some things in their sacks, and he accuses them of being spies and some, some kind of fun kind of stuff uh, for him probably. Uh, but he ends up, he finally, he, this is the day now that he's going to tell them who he really is. We're in chapter 45, so turn over to chapter 45. Now, they don't realize that Joseph is their brother. He's dressed, would have been dressed like an Egyptian. He would have been talking to them through an interpreter because they spoke a different language. So he would have been speaking this other different language. He probably had a Yule Brenner kind of haircut. You know, probably had shaved his head or maybe 22 years later he was bald. Who knows? But he just, he looked different. I just went back to my 20, 20th reunion and I am glad people had name tags. I hadn't seen these people since I had graduated. I didn't have a clue. I went to high school with you uh, by their name. So you're thinking, well, how did they not know that this was their brother? Well, you, if you've been to your reunion, you see people that you don't have a clue, you do, I do anyway, that I can't remember. They didn't remember. They didn't see. They weren't expecting. They thought he was gone, dead and gone. And here they, we see in chapter 45, Joseph has this chance that for 22 years he's been waiting for. If it was us, 
22 years has passed. And now here his brothers are in this, this dream that he'd had way back when he was a kid. Now it's coming true. And they're bowing down before him. They're asking him for food so they can, they can live. He has all the power in this situation. He has the chance to say those words that we all love to say. I told you so. And here's Joseph with that opportunity, that chance to get revenge for what they'd done to him 22 years. And instead of giving them that, Joseph gives them the gift of Christmas. And the gift of Christmas that Jesus gave us is grace and total forgiveness. And so this morning, I want us to talk about how we can in turn, as we look at Joseph's example, give this Christmas season the gift of total forgiveness. Because the reality is that we are like Joseph. We are like Joseph in that we have all been wronged. We have all had situations in our lives where people did things that hurt us and scar us. And we have replayed those situations in that little tape that we all have in our mind. We've replayed those situations and we've, we've thought about the time that, that that person would get what they deserved and that thing that they have done, that's been done to us would be out in the open where everybody knows what they did and, and we would, uh, uh, that situation would be made right. And we've struggled with some of those situations We've dreamed about the day that that person would walk into our lives and admit what they did to us and would pay for what they did to us. Maybe you sit here today and you feel the pain from a divorce, from an unfaithful spouse, <clears throat> spouse years and years and years ago. And you've lived with that pain of the wrong that they did to you. Maybe you've lived with the pain that you experienced as a child. Of a parent, maybe, or, or someone that you trusted that was abusive in some way. And for years, you have lived with that pain. Or maybe you sit here today and there was a leader in your life. Someone that you trusted. Someone that, that had authority and power over you. And they wronged you. And they did things that abused that power. And it hurt you deeply. Or maybe there's a situation at your work. Or maybe there's a situation in your family right now. Or maybe you're sitting next to someone right now that you've mouthed the words, Yes, I forgive you. But in your heart, you have not. Or in that situation, because we're good Christian people. And because people, we've heard pastors preach about forgiveness, we've read about it in this book before, and we've given lip service to the fact that, yes, I've forgiven them, but secretly, if there would be an opportunity for that person, because we've watched them thrive, and we've watched them do well, and we've, we've not witnessed them being, having, experiencing any pain for what they've done, and secretly we have that thought, if at some point they would get what they deserve. That would feel really good. This morning, I want to talk to you about forgiving like God's Word talks to us about forgiving. And God's Word talks to us about forgiving as Jesus forgave us. And so this morning, let's talk about 
total forgiveness so that you and I can experience the freedom that can only come when we forgive like Jesus forgave us. And so how do I know that I have totally forgiven this individual? I can know that I've totally forgiven that individual when, one, I tell no one. When I tell no one. When I make that decision, I will tell no one. Look at verse 1. In verse 1 he says, And then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So here he is in this grand hall, let's imagine. And here his brothers are there. And there's all these slaves and all these servants that are there in that room. And Joseph now has gotten to the point where he's going to reveal who he really is. And so he says to all those other people, I want all of you to leave. I want to talk just to these guys. And of course, he's the powerful second in command, and they all obediently leave. And how here Joseph is with these guys, and he finally reveals who he is to these guys. Now, why did he do that? He did that because Joseph wanted to bring his family to Egypt. He wanted his brothers to live there in Egypt with him. And imagine what these people that loved Joseph. Joseph was their savior. He's the guy that saved all of them. He's the national hero. How would that nation feel? How would those servants feel? How would people feel when it got out what these brothers had done to him? These guys, these guys sold their own brother into slavery Joseph did not want his brothers to be hurt. He did not want them to, to have any retribution uh, you know, taken out on them. And so he makes the decision to tell no one. He didn't want to do anything that would destroy their relationship. As they would be brought, was his hope, to Egypt. He forgave them like Jesus forgave us. There's a great passage I would encourage you to commit it to memory. In Psalm 103. Verse 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So far has he removed our sins for us, from us. In other words, the scripture tells us that God has forgiven us. And when he forgave us because of what Jesus did, he doesn't hold that against us. He doesn't, there's not some screen that, 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 that God puts our sins up. He doesn't let anyone else know what we did, thankfully. Scripture says in Acts, the third chapter, the 19th verse, that when we repent and turn to God, that our sins, awesome, are wiped out. God doesn't tell anybody else. God doesn't, God doesn't put it up on a screen. God doesn't want anyone else to know. And friend, as we think about how we would feel if other people knew of what we've done against God, we, as we forgive individuals, we must make the same commitment that God has made to us that we will tell no one. Now let me just give it a disclaimer, and that disclaimer is this. That some of us have been so hurt and so wronged and, and so it's such an intense situation that there may very well be that you need to talk to a professional. Someone that can help you work through and process through that, that issue for therapeutic reasons. But as you tell that counselor or that, that person for those, the reasons of finding healing in your own life, you tell them that knowing that they will tell no one. And it's not like us, what we normally do. 
It's not like when we go, when we've been hurt or we've been wrong, what we do normally is, yeah, I say I've forgiven, but then I go tell everybody what that person did to me. And when the subject comes up, when their name comes up, well, you never guess what they did to me. Oh, yeah, I've forgiven them. But let me tell you this story. If that's the situation, then, friend, you are not experiencing total forgiveness. The Scripture tells us in Ephesians 4, verse 32, to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So like God, you must tell no one. Secondly, we know that we've totally forgiven when we will not let them be afraid of us. Look at verse 3. He had asked the question of where's dad or how's dad doing of his brothers because he'd not heard. And in verse 3 it says his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. His brothers were so afraid they couldn't talk. Imagine that scene. Having come to the seat of power of this powerful nation, Egypt. And now here they are and they realize that this is their brother that they sold into slavery. And they just know because they know how they would react if it had been them. And they know that now their number's up, their goose is cooked, or whatever, you know, a little phrase you want to use. And here they are in his presence, and they realize who he is, and they're so afraid of him that they can't even talk. And what does it say? What was Joseph's reaction to, to, to them? The second verse says that he was so moved, as he was so emotional, that he wept, he cried so loud that the people outside the room even heard what was going on. Or, or heard him. They didn't know what was going on, but they heard him outside. He was so moved. And it says that he, uh, th that he got close to them, and he wanted them to come close to him. Why? So that he could look them in the eye, so that he could put an arm around them, so that he could shake a hand, so that he could do whatever he could to reassure them so that they would not be afraid. He was making the commitment, I do not want my brothers to be afraid of me. How many of us? In our lives, we have that situation, that person, again, that's wronged us. And let's imagine that we're at, uh, at the grocery store, and we see that person. And you've had those situations where that person that, that you've got that issue with, that person sees you, and they, they feel guilty, they feel all those things, and so what do they do? They act like they don't see you, and they go down the other aisle. And when that happens, when that person, they see you, but they go a different direction and they don't want to face you because they're kind of afraid because they know what they've done to you. And when that happens, there's something in you that, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you need to walk the other way. Don't make me come down there. <laughs> and that feels good because that feels powerful. Because we want them to pay for what they did. And when we have those feelings, when we have those emotions, what that is painting a picture of what's going on in our heart and that there's still bitterness there. When we will allow them to fear us, we've not totally forgiven. But Joseph chooses not to fuel their fears any longer. He doesn't make them bow down. He doesn't make them pay homage to him. He doesn't make them say uh, that they grovel for their lives. He doesn't do any of those things. He embraces them. He loves them. He reassures them. He does what he can to reassure them that he is forgiving them. How do we know that, we've been, that we have totally forgiven? We will know that when we will not let that person next feel guilty. We will not let them feel guilty. Look at verse 5. 
And now don't be distressed, Joseph's talking to him. Don't be distressed, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. He decided that they'd, they'd experienced enough guilt. 22 years of guilt was enough. And so he says to them some what would have been reassuring words. Imagine Reuben and, 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 and the other brothers, Benjamin and the other brothers. Imagine them, did he just say what I thought he said? Did he just say that, that God brought him here and that it wasn't us? Did he mean that? Imagine the whispers, imagine the thoughts, imagine what they were experiencing as they heard those words that he speaks in, in verse 5. They had lived with their guilt for 22 years. And now here he is not wanting them to feel bad. Now he's not, note, excusing what they'd done. He's not looking the other way. He's not ignoring what they've done. He's not acting like it never happened because what does he say? You sold me here. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. He doesn't act like he just happened into Egypt somehow. He acknowledges, you guys sold me here, but it's okay. God wanted me here. So total forgiveness is not us, you know, acting like it never happened. That's not what we're talking about. So 22 years they'd carried this guilt, and Joseph makes the decision that he's going to free them from it. That's total forgiveness. Joseph understood. He's quoting the, the, the theology of Paul in Romans when Paul says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that, 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 the things, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. In other words, God says uh, through Paul that God works stuff out for our good if we're following him. That's what, that's what Joseph's saying. You know what? It was a bad deal, but God's worked it out. God wanted me here. He doesn't want them to feel guilty. And we know that we've totally forgiven when we don't want that individual to feel guilty. Another way that we know that we've totally forgiven is when I allow them to let them, when I let them keep their dignity. When I let them keep their dignity. Look at verse 7 and 8. But God, he says, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. So what's he say? You can keep your dignity. You can keep your self-esteem. You didn't do this. God did this. That's exactly what God has done for us in our forgiveness. God allows us to keep our dignity. He allows us to save face, even though we have wronged him, even though there are all these things that we have done to him, he allows us to still, in his presence, hold our heads high, doesn't he? What did he do for David? David, who is an adulterer, who is a murderer, who in the New Testament in Matthew appears in big, bold letters in the genealogy of Jesus Christ himself. An adulterer, a murderer, God gave another chance. God, God exalted. God lifts up. And, and so in the same way, we should treat those people that have wronged us. If we are going to totally forgive, we must allow them to keep their dignity, to keep their self-esteem. And the thing that will help us is if we'll remember a couple of things. And one, if we'll simply remember what we have been forgiven of. Who are we? Not to forgive. 
when we have been forgiven of so much? Who are we? The second thing we also need to take into consideration as we are giving total forgiveness, as we are allowing that person to keep their self-esteem and their dignity, is the reality of what? If it were not for Christ, if it were not by the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, what we as individuals would all be capable of, unless God had changed us. And when we remember those two things, that helps us to cut other people some slack and to allow them to keep their self-esteem, their dignity, because God has allowed us. We don't have to grovel in his presence. We kneel, we bow our knee, we seek his forgiveness, we, we, we plead for him, and we, we realize that the sin that we've committed, but then we can stand up from that, having been cleansed, having been set free, and having been given the robes of Christ's righteousness. That when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of his son. That's what we give to other people. We allow them to keep their dignity. The other thing that we do when we think about it, have I totally forgiven? How do I know that I've totally forgiven? Is when you protect them from their darkest fear. What, was, what were these brothers' darkest fear, do you think? As I was thinking about that, I would, I would say that their darkest fear would have been going back and telling dad what they did. But notice that, that he doesn't tell them, hey, go back and tell dad what you did. I want you to go back and, and when you, I'm going to give you some food and I want to bring you back here, but I want you to tell dad what you did. Notice what he does starting in verse 9. Starting in verse 9, again still in that 45th chapter, he tells them exactly what he wants them to tell their father about this situation. He gives them a script, a word-for-word script that says nothing about what they did 22 years before. And friend, sin that has been confessed and given to God does not then, the sins of others, does not then need to be told to other people. And that's what we see here. They, there was no reason, there was nothing helpful either, either for their dad, who if he knew what they'd done, would have probably lived with bitterness toward them. He did not want his dad to know. Dad doesn't need to know. No one else needs to know. Their greatest fear was for their dad to know. It's why they killed Joseph in the first place. Because they wanted their dad's love. They wanted their dad to look at them like he looked at Joseph. And maybe if Joseph wasn't around, maybe he would love us like that. And so... He saves them from their greatest fear. And if we do that for others, then we will not talk about it with other people. Beyond that, maybe that individual for a therapeutic reason, but we're not going to do that. We're going to treat them like Joseph. We're not going to involve innocent people in the situation. Joseph was wise, he was loving, he was fair. And when we have totally forgiven, we are not going to allow that person to live in the perpetual fear that someday we are going to tell others about what they did to us. They know. They know that, it's that, that that's over and been forgiven of. The last thing that I would say as we think about what does total forgiveness look like? And how do I know that I've totally forgiven? 
I've totally forgiven when I do it for as long as I live. When I do it as long as I live. Let's turn to the end of the story in chapter 50. 17 years have passed when chapter 50 is recorded. Jacob, the dad, has now died. His brothers are terrified that now that dad's dead, that Joseph is going to take revenge out on them now. And so they get to thinking, well, now I get it. Now that dad, he's just been waiting for dad to die. And now that dad's dead, now he's going to exact judgment. Now he's going to get revenge. Now he's going to do all those things that, because they're thinking if it had been them, all the things that they would have done if they'd been in the same situation. And so it's kind of, it's kind of sad, but we look at verse 15, and it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? And so again, they fear Joseph. Look at verse 16 and 17. Verse 16 and 17, we see that they send word to Joseph that their father had asked him to forgive his brothers. Uh, yeah, uh, Joseph, um, Dad told us to tell you not to hurt us. That you weren't supposed to cut off our arms and our legs. That you're not supposed to, to kill our family. You're not supposed to take all of our food. You're not supposed to throw us in prison. That's what Dad said. And, you know, Dad, you're supposed to do what Dad says. So, stay away. What do you think Joseph's reaction to that was? His reaction was profound sadness. That for what he had given them 17 years before this gift, just like Christmas, it was a gift that 17 years before he had given his brothers this total forgiveness. But for 17 years, this gift had been unopened in their lives. For 17 years, now 17 years later, they still are living with fear and guilt and regret and, and all of those things for 17 more years. And Joseph is broken hearted that they still didn't get it. And what does he say to them in verse 19 through 21? Joseph says to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to him, to them. Scripture says that he wept when he heard what they were thinking. And friend, if we have totally forgiven today, the reality is that there will be a day when that forgiveness will be tested. That situation will rise up. That name will come up in conversation. And we will be tempted to, yeah, let me tell you what they did to me way back in 19 whatever, whatever, whatever. And we will be tempted to dig that hatchet that we buried up because we left a marker. But if we have totally forgiven, we make the commitment that it is for a lifetime. That forgiveness, that gift that I've given.
So, what's the picture of total forgiveness? The picture of total forgiveness is that I make a decision by God's help that I will tell no one about that situation. That I will not allow my offender to fear me. That I will not allow my offender, as long as it's, I'm capable, I won't let them feel guilty because of me. I will allow them to save face. I will allow them to keep their dignity. I will not reveal their most devastating secret to anyone, and I will do it as long as I live. And friends, when we get there, when we can experience that, we are experiencing total forgiveness. Several years, well, it was just a couple years ago, when I read this book for the first time, I had, there was an individual in my life that had so deeply wronged me that I had over and over spoken words and talked to God about forgiving them. And in my mind, I had done what I needed to do. I had walked through those steps, but I had never totally forgiven. There is a part of me that would have secretly rejoiced if something, if God had taken judgment out on them. And today, before this service, I reaffirmed, because it's for a lifetime, the freedom that God gave me, that I can this morning pray for that individual, for God's best and God's blessing, and not his judgment in their lives. Today, you can be set free. I'm going to invite those that are going to help us to take communion to begin to prepare themselves to wait on us. And as they come back in just a moment to serve us, Scripture tells us that we need to examine ourselves before we take of communion. Communion is that time that we remember what Christ has done for us. It's a time when we take a small piece of bread that represents the body of Jesus Christ and we eat it in remembrance of what He's done. It's a time when we take a little cup and we drink the, what is in that cup and that reminds us of the blood of Jesus Christ that's shed for us. And so it reminds us of the forgiveness that we have been given. And as we are reminded of this forgiveness, as we hold his, these representatives of His forgiveness in our hands, I want all of us this morning to examine our hearts first and ask ourselves the question, is there anyone in my life that I have not totally forgiven? And before you take those elements, ask God to help you today to be totally free. Can those that will serve us come? And so as you take the elements, you can just hold them and during a time of worship as the Lord leads you, as you are ready, as you've examined your heart and you're ready, then take the elements. And today, may you experience total forgiveness. Father, in the name of Christ, I pray that you would set people free in this place. Father, I pray that you would do a work in hearts like you did in my heart. Father, set people free. I pray that you would help people that have been wronged in marriages and in childhoods and in situations that they've carried baggage and bitterness and they've, they, they've, they've said in token ways they've forgiven. But today, in the name of Christ, may they be set free and forgive as you, God, has forgiven us in Christ Jesus. Set us free. Thank you, Father, for what you've done for us. And as we take these elements, 
Thank you that we can celebrate the total forgiveness that you have given us. And now bless these people. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. As you leave today, I want to encourage you to be set free. If you have a need that maybe the Lord has spoken to you and you'd like to pray with someone, maybe that's something that you just don't want to leave, make, you just want to make sure, and you just love to be able to pray with someone about that, as you're just committing to totally forgive. There'll be someone here, if you want to just come forward after the service, we'll, there's going to be some staff up here that you can just uh, catch, and they'd love to pray with you if you have a need this morning. As you leave, if you're here with us for the very first time, thank you so much for being our honored guest. What a great time of year to come and, and be with us and worship the Lord together. If you're here for the first time, I encourage you to take, there's a little tear off on that bulletin that you got as you came in, or announcement sheet as you got as you came in. If you wouldn't mind just tearing that off, and if you've not already done that, and giving that to one of the ushers, or there's a room as you go down this gathering area, all the way to the end, on the right, there's a room we've got a gift, some people there that would love to, uh, to just tell you anything, you have, any questions you might have about the church. They'd love to answer any questions you might have. Just would love to meet you. So if you're here for the first time, I encourage you to go. And there's a gift that they'd like to give you there uh, as, you, as you leave. Why don't we stand? And as we're standing, be reminded that uh, there's the new devotional books for the, for the quarter, is it, uh, are, are out. You can grab those. You can see one of the ushers. And also that little card, take one. And be praying about who you could bless uh, and share Christ's love with, this, love with this Christmas season. So may the Lord bless you as you leave today.